with Australian You're golf media, Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. G'day everybody and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 210. It's really 210.5 because we have a lot to get through today after missing last week's episode due to Melbourne's lockdown. But, I mean, we've got... Notes after notes after notes to get through. Yuka Sasso, Lexi, John Rahm, Marcus Armitage, to name just a few. We're going to chat to Brad James from Golf Australia and Kim Felton from the PGA about the future tour alignment that they've done together. And we're going to have a chat to Steve Allen about qualifying for the US Open for the first time in about a decade. And uh, as well as Scott Hen's wardrobe malfunction, we have lists after lists of good stories that we've gathered up from the tours around the world. So we're going to talk through some tournament disasters, all of that, and of course, the wrap-up of the results of the Aussies. Ali Whitaker here, and alongside me today is none other than Martin Blake. Blakey, how are you doing? Hello, Ali. I'm good, considering we're still, well, as we record this, we're still in lockdown in Victoria, so that's been tricky. Apologies to all our uh, valued listeners for missing last week. I think it's the first time we've missed one during the year, but it's just too difficult to get the permits and, you know, uh, essential, you have to be an essential worker and this sort of stuff. So we managed it this week, but it was too difficult last week. Apologies for that. Really looking forward to chatting to Steve Allen, one of my old favourites today. Yeah, you've, uh, you've followed his career for, for quite some we, time. We share you? a love of St Kilda Footy Club. So ah. we, you know, uh, and I, the first golf tournament that I ever covered. Uh, which was for the Age newspaper in Melbourne, was the 202 Australian Open at Victoria. Was it? And Steve won it. It's a memorable tournament for lots of reasons. They only played three rounds because the Greens were unplayable. It wasn't a great week in some ways, but it was a great week for Steve. And, uh, you know, I've followed him ever since, played a little bit of golf with him, and uh, he's a great guy. And he's qualified for the US Open at 47 years of age, which is sensational. I'm also looking forward to hearing from... Brad James and Kim Felton about this new Futures Tour. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and I I was racking my brains to think about whether it had actually been done anywhere before. So that's a question I'm certainly going to throw their way because I'm usually reasonably on top of these things because I cover a reasonable amount overseas and I I just haven't heard of a a development program coming up with something like this before. So uh, really looking forward to, to hearing how it came about and what it means for our next generation of Aussie talent. I know that you would have been watching Yuka Sasso <laughs> win the US Women's Open uh, last weekend, Ali, because that was a sensational performance by a 19-year-old Filipino player. Uh, it's quite amazing stat that she was the equal youngest US Open Women's Open winner in history with Inby Park to the exact day. To the exact day. I know. At that point in time, do you pull the hours out? Just to see who gets it. Maybe. You know uh, yeah, what, well, we didn't see that, did we? <laughs> what's the tiebreaker? Your star signs, the tiebreaker. I mean, Yuka Sasa, tell us, you, you would have seen her play uh, live lots of times. I mean, she's been a star. I think she won the, uh, you know, the US, what was it the US PGA Junior or something like that a couple of years ago? She's been you know, on the radar for a while, but she plays on the Japanese women's tour, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. And she, and she's an incredible player in that she's 19, but she, she's got a really full game already. And I'm sure that a lot of people would have seen uh, that for those of them who, who tuned in uh, to the U S women's open at Olympic club over in San Fran uh, on the weekend. And, and I mean, granted, you know, her, her first couple of holes, she was nervy. 
all week she'd been playing from the Two rough. doubles in the, early in the last round, right? Yeah, and she, and she hadn't actually hit that many fairways. Like, she was in contention from the rough for the first three rounds, genuinely. And when you have someone that's a powerful player with good technique that can and, and a technique that's so sound that it can be altered for, for things like heavy rough, you know, she, she doesn't just have one shot. She's able to kind of drop the ball down, uh, drop the club down onto the ball slightly differently than the majority of of the other players. And I'm not really surprised to see Lexi uh, contend as well for the same reason. She has a really steep swing. So she just comes into the ball and attacks the ball. Uh, in well, a the rough was manner. brutal, wasn't it? Olympic yeah. club. It was incredible how, how far the ball sat down. It was, it was fun to watch, possibly not so fun to play. I, I was hearing stories. I kept getting text messages from, from players in the early uh, stages of the week saying I've, I've lost six balls in the rough. Like, during their practice rounds, no spotters, no spotters, less yeah. less uh, spectators, and uh, even on the last day, I think it was uh, Megagane, one of the American uh, amateurs who who was very much so, you know, the, the starlet of uh, of the US yeah. contender, wasn't she? She was brilliant. Um, from New Jersey, she's, what is she? Seventeen years old. She's finishing a, high school, isn't she? Finishing high school. Unbelievable. <laughs> finishing high school. Mm. Get your head around it. Mm. Um, but yeah, she she was giving out golf balls the first three days and she actually she actually ran out of golf balls and because she was using an older model it wasn't like she could just go to the the tour rep and ask for for more balls she was actually using a a model of ball that's about a year or two old all right and and so and golf balls have expiry dates as well so they actually don't last that long they they shrink as a general rule, they shrink. Um, so if you've got, if, if you're at home and you've got like six dozen balls out in the garage, don't bring them out from, from to, you know 2009. Well, just just know that it comes uh, with a with a little bit of a, a side warning on it uh, when you tee it up. But yeah, so she had to ask around, and then I think it was the uh, the golf club director that went into their stores and asked everyone at the golf club and ended up sourcing some more balls for her for, uh, for Sunday's place. A nice little amateur tale there. But, but what a week it was. And how good's golf? Like you go and you have Phil Mickelson who wins <laughs> the age of 50 and then, the, you know, the next women's major, you have a 19-year-old take the cake. Tells the story, doesn't it? That's it. You mentioned the rough. I mean, it was from the rough that she, Yuka Sasso, really won it because on the, uh, I think it was the third playoff hole, she She'd been driving the ball well uh, in the early part of the playoff. Mm-hmm. Then she hit one in the rough. Then she hit a great shot onto the green, made the putt. So she wins it with a birdie. I looked it up. She she shot for the last nine holes she played. She shot three under par, that including the three playoff holes. Lexi Thompson shot 41 on the back nine. Uh, she flubbed a chip somewhere along the line there. She really she had a five-shot lead early in the round. That was a bit hard to watch, wasn't it? It was. That, yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. It was it was like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lexi's one of those players that she has a lot of scar tissue on the golf course for someone that's already a major champion. Uh, you know, and, and for people to be – one of the conversations I loved when Rich Lerner asks Morgan Pressel about why, she, you know, how, can we consider her to be an underachiever given – you know, she's already won more than 10 events on the LPGA. Uh, and, and, and a major. Like, and a major, a major, exactly. Yeah. She already got that off her back. Um, mm. She's one of those players, though. It's it's more about the scar tissue for her. She she had a putt to kind of win, I think it was back end of, I think it was 2018 maybe, that she had a, about a two-foot putt to win everything at the CMA Group Tour Championship. And I think she was going to go to number one mm. in the world as well. Like I remember it 
vividly being feeling like it was a putt for everything yeah. in golf, like everything you could ever want. Yeah. And she missed it. And it was it was a like if it was match play, she probably would have been given it if it wasn't the final. Oh wow! Like it was mm. that close. And so you've you add that to you know the the heartbreak of the four shot penalty at the ANA Inspiration a couple of years back. And she's so young, but she's just she's lived through a lot in golf. And this is just mm. another one um, that's going to be added to the list. But I, I think from a mental perspective, she got to a pretty dark place um, about two years ago. And I'm sure that COVID, you know, hopefully gave her a chance to reset. It sounds like it has. She's been working with a sports psychologist um, about mm. just kind of trying to see the big picture. But she was she was just really lonely on tour, you know. And we, and we go out and, you know, six players show up for dinner. And I I can't remember ever seeing her come out for dinner. I can't. It's I can't, interesting. Yeah. Like she travels with her dad, Scott, a lot mm. and her team. But I just... And I remember talking to her dad about it and I was like, if we start asking her out for dinner, can you just like give her a push? You know, because I was like, a lot of people were worried about her on tour. And then she ended up talking about it, which was great um, and, and power to her. And I'm so incredibly proud of the way that she's come out of that. And also she's building some happiness in her career now from the sounds of it. So hopefully that's going to well, help, it's a journey. get it's, over it. It's a journey for her because she's still only mid-20s and she all low-20s. So... Um, she feels like she's been around for so long and she mm. has, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, having started out at 16, but there was definitely some nerves there and, uh, you know, there's no doubt about that. How do you find her personally? Do you, you would have had a bit to do with her? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been around and, and played with Lexi, um, before for well, ever since she came out on tour. I remember I played with her and she and Julie Inkster at, um, the Safeway in Portland, you know, I think it was back in about 2011 hmm. uh, was the first time I played with her. But she she was a very good supporter of the Aussie events for, for quite a while. Like she came out yeah. to the to the ladies' masters a lot uh, in the infancy of her career and, and always enjoyed coming out. And her, her manager, Bobby, at the time was always, he's like, what what restaurants should we be going to? And, you know, and it was I think it was her birthday around about that time and they were always trying to make it special and he'd always come and ask for recommendations and stuff like that. But, um yeah, she's just she's oh, just. You, a well, fan they went of... to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> they were asking the right person for that. I told them where to go after the restaurant, but I don't think they did that either. So, <laughs> slightly bad influence in that regard. But uh, she's just a phenom, you know. Like, and and it's a different it's a different existence, you know. When she turned pro, she drove up in what was it, a Red Bull race car and jumped out the window as as like at her press conference when she first turned professional. Uh, it is it is a it's a different category of pressure and um, I can, you know. Expectation. She, she, yeah, expectation. She didn't do that much wrong on, on Sunday. No. Realistically, it was just that, you know, she hit two really average chips, an area of her game that she's been working on. Um, her, her ball striking just faltered and, and the cracks in her game showed up mm. and it was just under the magnifying glass. And I, I feel for her, but... Um, I mean, kudos to her for walking into the press room after that as well, though. I think the manager cut the yep. cut the questions off a <laughs> yeah. few a few questions in because I, I gather that she was really struggling, which she she would have been. She would yeah. have been absolutely devastated. I think she was in tears at the time, and this is the thing about. I mean, it's very topical, isn't it? The mm. mental health of athletes and, and press conferences, um, pre a, and post, pre no, and post round. No one ever thinks about this, but having done this for a long time, uh, it's a very hard thing for a journalist as well. When mm. you when you see uh, an athlete who had a spectacular tumble yeah. uh, and you you do need, you know, you're working for a newspaper, radio station, television station, whatever, you, you, you need to do your job 
but on the other hand, you're, you're dealing with someone who's in a terrible state. So done it a few times. It's not easy. I mean, I think most most good journos would be quite uh, considerate of that, but mm. you'd, you'd hope, but uh, not easy. So, yeah, a quick one for that. Um, the Australians didn't really fire that much of a shot, unfortunately. We didn't see much of them on the television coverage, but Hannah Green and Minji Lee made the cut but finished well back. Yeah, tie for 54 for Minji and uh, and tie for Greeny at 62. Um, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of time. Keep the horses on the track. They're both incredible players and already have a many many notches on the belt. I'm looking forward to watching. Um, I'm presuming that it's almost definite that it'll be those two representing us in the, in Tokyo. Looks like it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to them just being the ambassadors that they are. You know, both great girls. Um, but yeah, let's let's keep moving yeah. on. And and uh, and the other big elephant in the room this weekend was uh, was John Rahm and what happened to him. What's your take on that, Blakey? Um, well, John Rahm is leading by six through through three rounds of the Heritage, and he has to withdraw because he does a positive COVID test. Look, I don't see much of a way around it. Um, in fact, I'm I'm surprised that he, you know, he was just sort of told out on the 18th green after he finished and it was very public you know he puts his head in his hands and stuff like that it's heartbreaking for John Rahm but the rules are there and they need to be there I think so I think uh, a pragmatic view would be that he had to withdraw he'd been in the he'd been in the uh, COVID protocols for I think a week and he'd uh, you know there's been a lot of commentary around it a few people saying that well why didn't he get um, vaccinated earlier or something like that, but really, he he was vaccinated, a f- you know, about a week earlier when when he went on to the protocols, he got a vaccine, but it hadn't sort of it doesn't kick in that quickly. So, also oh, he had had he had a, had a vaccine. Oh, uh, I didn't know yeah, that he actually only a few taken it. only a few days earlier when he found out he was in the protocol. So, they uh, through their contact tracing, the tour realised that he'd been in close contact with someone who had COVID. I'm not sure who that person was or where it was, but he definitely was in their protocols. He was he was given the option of playing in the tournament, which is interesting in itself. Okay. He said, okay, I'll play. There was some restrictions on his movement at the tournament, I believe, mm. you know, not allowed mm-hmm. to go to the gym with other people, et cetera, stuff like that. But he chose to play. He played brilliantly, of course, and then he has to withdraw. I mean, the first prize was something like 1.7 or 1.6 or something like that, US, so... It's a big uh, penalty for someone, and he was asymptomatic as well. But uh, Patrick Cantlay ended up winning a player for that great, really good player, Patrick Cantlay. Mm. Um, made a putt when he really needed to to beat Morikawa. Lucas Herbert played really well, your mate. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see him uh, featuring. Uh, finishes the second best Aussie, just crept inside the top 20 at T18. Um, we'll take a pretty healthy check. and 100K, uh, I think. I think 100K. Just over. Yeah, mm. US as well. Um, Adam Scott, the only Aussie to... to one up him, uh, tied for 16th. But, um, yeah, Mark Leishman and tied for 57th. Uh, the three that made the cut. Uh, yeah, I, I feel for John Rahm in that he, was, he actually tied Tiger Woods's 54-hole record in that event. Yeah. And so, you know, you're powering along. And then I didn't, I've got to say I didn't love how public the thing uh, was. Could have I, done that better, couldn't they? Yeah, and, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, there was at one point in time where the camera, I don't know if you – saw it but the camera's following and then his caddy oh, actually yes. swatted it away yeah, it right a big at the end it was stiff just, arm wasn't yeah. it yeah <laughs> it was understandably like, yeah 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 i mean what what a moment i mean we've had a lot of golfers have tested positive to covid um over the last year or so but this uh, to, to my knowledge is the first one that anyone was sort of leading a tournament and leading mm. by six mind you so in jack nicholas's tournament i mean 
Um, it's it's pretty tough. Um, European Tour Alley, uh, Maverick, uh, Maverick Ancliffe looked like he was going to get a win, uh, just fell away a little bit on the last day. Shot 75 mm-hmm. in the fourth round of the Porsche Euro European Open in Hamburg. So he ended up finishing tied 11th, but he's playing pretty well. And uh, Scott Hend was an interesting one there. We, uh, we'll, we'll have a listen to Scott <laughs> Hend later on. But he missed the cut, his gear having not having arrived, not only his luggage, but his golf clubs. So we'll talk a bit about that later. And, uh, and Marcus Armitage, who won the tournament, is quite a story, isn't he? He is, yeah. And he, he's one of those guys that is exactly as he seems in person. I, you know, I've, I've always talked to him whenever I see him on tour mm. and you know, there's, there's kind of this concept that could could this guy be this down to earth? Could he be this genuine and, and heartfelt? And he is. And he's spoken over the years about um, his, his loneliness and mental health on tour. I think it was two and a half years ago now, put a post out about just how brutal it mm. is when you're traveling alone and and just so incredibly in touch with his in with his feelings and being able to, to share that in a, a public sense. And And this week was no exception. So Marcus Armitage gets his first win on the European Tour, and he he chatted to the broadcaster immediately after. We had to put this in. It's such a such a, a raw moment. Here's Marcus Armitage, winner of the European Open. Twenty years ago, I lost my mum, and I've dreamt about this since that day, um, being a winner. And you have times that you think, oh, this might not happen, but you know. Um, I just, you know, I just stuck at it, and then uh, yeah, today's a great day, um, and I'm sure I should be proud. But sure. you know, I have everybody in my team that, that's helped me and stuff like that. This one's for me. It's deep down, it's for me. I, you know, all them lonely days on my own, dealing with with life, and I'm sure a lot of people do the, the same. But I think, um, yeah, this one's for me. Just all them lonely days on my own, working at my dream and I think I've got to take a lot of credit for it myself. Well, listening to that, you can understand why uh, it was a a popular win on the European Tour for Marcus Armitage and if anyone was going to top our man cliff, as I call him, Maverick and Cliff, uh, he ended up in tied for 11th place. A a good showing as well by him but uh, but all of the all of the goods went to, to Armitage in the end. And uh, let's do a little quick uh, notable mention, wrap around uh, Steph Kiriakou, uh, tied for 15th in the Ladies European Tour over at Evian in Evian Les Bains. Evian Les Bains. Les Bains. Les Bains. Les Bains. Les Bains. Uh, loved it. That was great. Uh, <laughs> 17-year-old won that event, by the way. Yes, Pia Babnik. Mm. She is Amazing. like, she's kind of one of those classic, tall, lanky, you know, if you if you kind of pictured like a, 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 an Eastern European with her dad going around mm. tour, and she's going to be a serious player. Like that is a name to remember. She uh, presumably will be at the Olympics, so hopefully we'll get the chance to feature there. But she's been uh, an up and coming talent for for quite a while and been on the radar. Um, Anthony Quayle had a good week in uh, over on the Japanese tour, tied for thirteenth there. Um, who else? Rob Pampling tied for fifteenth on the Champions Tour, and uh, yeah, a host of other players. Popping in uh, some good scores, making the cut, but they're certainly the uh, the the best of the lot so Excellent. far. I, I just know. wanted to hear you say Evian Le Bain. Le Bain. I know. Well, you, you feel like sometimes as a commentator, you just feel like a bit of a loser <laughs> trying to put the accent on. I want, I remember when I, we were doing um, the the Solheim Cup uh, in Germany, and it was Saint Leon Rot, but my co-commentator Richard, who I adore 
got really into it. And he so was he's going, doing the full He French. was going, Saint Leon Rot. And right. I looked at him and I'm like, mate, you just, it's not worth it. Like, <laughs> they'll forgive you for a slightly worse uh, pronunciation. But uh, no, it's, all, it's all, in the, all in the name of the game, quite, quite literally. What's el- what else is on our, on our topic list for we today? We're going to take a break, I think, and then we'll come oh. back with Brad James and Kim Felton to talk the Futures Tour. There we go. Listen to him telling me what to do. All right. We'll be right back after this. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside the Ropes. We've got a pretty interesting segment coming up, and I'm, I'm excited to hear more about it. Uh, the PGA Affiliate Future Tour. We have Kim Felton, the Tour Development Manager of the ISPS Hunda PGA Tour of Australasia, and Brad James, the Golf Australia High Performance General Manager, on the line. First of all, morning to you, boys. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Always good to hear both of you. Good morning, Ali. Thanks for having us, yes. Great to hear your voices. Yep. Now, this initiative that you guys have put together, obviously part of the joint venture between Golf Australia and the PGA Tour of Australasia, Uh, who wants to take the reins in telling us how it's all going to play out? I'm sure I can take that one, Brad. You happy with that? Yes, mate. It's all yours. So, um, yeah, look, I guess in a little nutshell, obviously part of my role with the PGA Tour of Australasia is player pathway. Um, Part of that being pathway from obviously the Australian tour through to the other tours around the world but then the other key area of that pathway is obviously the elite amateurs to the professional ranks and um, you know we're excited about what I'm about to explain but it really came from a phone call with Brad one day when we were discussing how we could potentially look at getting some amateurs you know to be able to having playing rights following season Um, after that phone call we went away and put some um, ideas down on paper and I guess that's where we've got to this point now where we're excited to announce the PGA Affiliate Future Tour um, which gives great opportunities for amateurs um, to obviously um, join or be a part of the PGA similar to what a, a affiliate tour member does when they turn pro and, and are able to play events and, and gain status for the following year. This will allow amateurs to basically um, earn points against what the value or, or what the prize money is for the professionals to um, to potentially get them a, an opportunity for the following year. So should there be, I think there's, well, I know there is three cards on offer um, for the 22-23 season moving forward where the amateurs moving into this season will be able to join uh, and any points they make will obviously count towards the what we're calling the past order of merit uh, and the top three, should they finish inside the top 50 of the order of merit, will get status for the, as I said, the 22-23 season. So... Look, it's come around from a, a conversation with Brad, but um, you know we're working very closely with not just Brad in this area, but the high performance managers in each state. And it's yeah, it's exciting times. It really is, and I have to say, I, I love the sound of this. And as far as I know, I think is is it a world first? Uh, I think well, the PGA came out with PGA Tour University, um, okay. obviously, which is which is the one that uh, off the university rankings where five. Top five went to Corn Ferry. Next five went to, I think, Latino and, and Canada for their other um, smaller tours. This is probably, well, I know, I think it's the first, Brad, and, and you could probably confirm this too, where we're actually giving amateurs um, points and rankings from playing with the pros, not not from amateur rankings mm-hmm. themselves, from actually gaining starts in events, whether it's through invites through GA, Golf Subway or Golf New South Wales or Monday qualifying. So anybody can take this up. And as I said, if they earn the rights of playing against the pros, um, they'll get that status for the following year. So I think that's where it is, uh, um, probably a world's first. 
Kim, the, this had to get through the tour council, I believe. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine it had been easy because, you know, there's is there potential to take some of the rights of the pro players here or have you managed that through? Uh, look, yeah, I, I was super proud and I know Brad was too. It took time, um, not because of, of what it was, um, more so of, of getting everybody together to, to get that done. But the players council were... 100% in, in full support of it. Um, the, the Players' Council has formed of you know, past players. Uh, they've all been in this position and, and have seen that as a great opportunity to do it. In regards to taking away opportunities, it doesn't take any ch- opportunities away. Um, it's similar to the affiliate member, the, the spots that are added um, from should one, two or three gain this in the following season will be added on to the already stuff. So not, not taking spots away, it's just giving an opportunity. As I said, if, if no one finished inside the top 50 who have taken out the past uh, membership, then there's obviously no, no spots taken. So, look, oh, yeah, I'm really proud. I think it's been great. And the, the, the Players' Council and, and um, our tour team and, and all at GA and, and Golf Day Bay and Golf New South Wales have worked really hard to get it across. And, Brad, do you, do you see this making a, a bit of a difference for the, for the elite amateur who comes through and takes advantage of this? Yeah, I do. It's, uh, if you look at... Our athletes, they graduate from high school or college and they want to be the CEO of BHP or the AFL as soon as they graduate from college or high school. They want to play on that PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour. Well, realistically, it's, it's such a difficult journey for an athlete to transition from elite amateur to elite professional. So this provides that pathway or internship for them to learn their trade for a year or a couple of years before they graduate onto the bigger tours. Uh, and the pathway is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, and I know the PGA have done some some fantastic work behind the scenes to get this over the line. And a big thanks needs to go to Kim and Nick Datchley and all the members of the PGA to get this over the line. I think it's a wonderful initiative and it's a great partnership between Golf Australia and the PGA. And it shows that we are working together to better the, to better the game and, and, and create better opportunities for our future stars. If these are the initiatives that are going to come out of us all coming together, then I reckon it should have happened a decade ago. I'm loving the sound of this, I have to say. So in terms of how, you know, obviously when our Aussie events um, get back on TV for people at home to to follow along, they're they're still plugging away behind the scenes, obviously, at the moment um, in the states that are able to do so. So a player, an amateur, has to effectively finish inside the top 50 on the ISPS under PGA Tour of Australasia order of merit, and then if no, no amateurs do that, then there's no allocations for that year, correct? Yeah, correct. So it's similar to, you know, like what Brad just touched on there, it's a great opportunity for the, and almost takes some pressure off those elite amateurs that are looking to turn pro, where they've got a year of almost a um, traineeship if you'd like to earn that spot. So they've got a year of doing it. It's a gamble like a pro does when they turn pro and, and get into certain events to keep their card for the following year, like a, a professional does for top 50 on the Australian order amount. Um, should a amateur not yes, not finish inside that top 50, there won't be any spots given. So, like I said, they've, they've got to earn it, hence why our Players' Council and the members are all behind this. Um, there's no given that there's three new elite amateurs coming forward every year from, from this uh, membership. They've got to go out there and earn it. And, and as Brad said, I think this is a great opportunity for him to test the waters. And Ali, I know back when uh, I turned pro and yourself, you know, if this was around <laughs> to test the waters and actually see if you were good enough to, to mix it with them, um, it would be something that was super beneficial and, and might hold back someone from thinking they're ready and, and, you know, putting them under that pressure of 
you know, financial and, and um, the other strains on being a professional golfer in that first season by holding back and, and giving it a go. Yeah, Brad, in terms of, in terms of th- that jump between amateur and pro, you know, you see a lot of, uh, you know, young GA amateurs going out, you know, leading the Australian Opens, contending into the final rounds and then kind of dropping away a little bit under the pressure. Granted, we've had some pretty brilliant um, performances over the years as well, not, not to shy away from that. But do you think this will be a slightly added, you know, an extra added layer of pressure potentially, that, that concept of, of teaching people how to try and earn and, and keep a card and what that means um, for your year's performance? Yeah, it's a great question, Ali. I, I, I actually remember watching the Cricket Australia documentary, The Test, I think it's called, and Steve Smith gets out, he walks up to the Australian locker room and he, his sports psych is there to help him. His teammates are there to pat him on the back and say, mate, it's okay. Uh, his performance analysis guy is there to, to go through how he got out. We're in golf. If you shoot 80, everyone in that clubhouse is very happy that you shot 80. Um, <laughs> you have to book your own flights as a golfer. You have to find your own meals as a golfer. You have to, you have to run your own business. So the sport is very unique, and it takes time to learn those skills to run your business and I think what this pathway does, it, it provides our athletes that time and understanding of what the challenges are as a, excuse me, as a professional athlete or professional golfer. It's very, very different to a lot of the other sports, be it football or rugby or cricket, where you have to be very autonomous. Um, so this pathway allows that. Feltz, I wanted to ask you, uh, I don't want to ask this to Jamesy because he's too biased, but uh, the quality of the male amateurs in particular that come out nowadays and enter these events. We've seen people like Coletta and Curtis Luck in recent years win uh, pro tournaments as playing as amateurs, and there there are others as well that I can't think of off the top of my head, but certainly those two did. Um, Are they better than when you came through? Do you think are they more rounded? Uh, Are they just better players? Uh, I wouldn't say better players. I think they're being... um given better opportunities. I, I almost see it now um, as they're already professionals, really. I know they're not playing for, for money. and They're like mini uh, pros, aren't you know, they? Yeah, they are. And, you know, to have GA and their support around, I mean, it's massive. Um, the support was always there um, back in the old days when it was Australian golf. Um, but what happens now through what Brad and the team and everybody's doing is phenomenal. And, and you know, we saw it last year with, uh, you know, Elvis, Jack Thompson and, and Nathan Barberi literally locking up their cards in the other affiliate membership as professionals in, in three events. And for those three to go out and finish, you know, top 50 from three events um, where, you know, other professionals, you know, playing far more events uh, didn't didn't quite get inside that top 50 and have full rankings shows the calibre of what they are now. But, yeah, I, I, there's some amazing talent. And, and I think through the player series this year as well, um, you know, there was a great opportunity with um, the borders being closed um, to not have full fields and, and get some young um, women out there playing as well and watching them play. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to get to the Bonnie Dean one. I couldn't believe how good these um, guys and girls were. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. I think this next five years is probably the best opportunity we've had in a long, long time. Um, and I'm sure we're going to see some, some great results and future champions. That's what we like to hear. And one... Go ahead, Brad. So just on that point, I, I think it's important to understand that in the past it has just been you know some of your state bodies or Golf Australia helping develop these athletes 
But it's it's important too that the entire golf industry plays a role in developing the athletes or helping the athletes along their journey because it takes an army to do it. Uh, everyone's got to be on the same page and everyone's got to be involved. So the athlete has the greatest potential to get there and to reach their potential. And if it's only one body, be Golf Australia or Golf WA or Golf New South Wales or Golf Victoria doing that, it makes the journey harder for that athlete. So if we're all working together as one, we can all use our resources to help that athlete reach their potential. And I think this is a great step in that direction where you are seeing Golf Australia and the PGA come together uh, to do this. Yeah, I yeah, well said. couldn't agree more. Well said is the best way to put it. Now, I do have one last question for you, Brad. In terms of how, you know, obviously the cho- there are choices in terms of which amateurs get into certain events. Is is kind of the, the order of merit going to have, play any role in terms of how people, you know, kind of get those sponsor invites? You know, is, is your selection process or the state selection process um, going to be affected at, at all by that order of merit or are you going to try and keep it as, as, as kind of, fair's the wrong word, but individual uh, of a basis for selection as possible? Yeah, we've still got to work through some of those details, but we want every athlete to have the same opportunity. We don't want it ideally to come down to just selections. Uh, we want athletes to earn those spots, but we are only able to be, the PGA is only able to provide certain amount of spots for certain events. So we have to, we need to sort of abide by those guidelines as well and those opportunities because there isn't 20 spots for amateurs in every state open. There isn't 30 spots in the Australian open. So there are limited spots. So we have to work together to find out who deserves those opportunities. And it can be based on world ranking. It can be based on performance, et cetera. Well, I can't think of two yeah, better but- guys at the, at the top of the helm uh, of, the, of the ship for, uh, for this kind of initiative than, uh, than the two of you. It sounds really positive. No, it is great. Um, just further that too, um, I've probably forgot, forgot to mention as well that this um, future tour membership should an amateur take it up and and earn his earn his way into the top fifty. He doesn't have to turn professional to use it, so they can use it as an amateur the following year as well. So it gives them another great opportunity of planning and and further to what Brad said, then it also offers that opportunity to uh, an amateur that wants to take it out in say WA over here with the WA PGA and WA Open. Um, it does offer that that other person to take it out and, and give it a real go from that, you know, great story of finishing top two and then having to go around Australia and Monday qualifying to get into the, the other state opens and Australian opens and all that. So it really gives them a great insight. Yeah, it does. And, and they'll be able to look at it at the end of the year and, and see how their games stack up against the, the people that they want to play against. And no doubt that'll have a, a big influence on their decision potentially to turn pro even when that happens. Kim Felton, the TJ... Uh, Tour Development Manager, I should say, of ISPS Hunter, PJ Tour of Australasia. Brad James, the Golf Australia High Performance General Manager. Two captains on either side, but coming together. And uh, I'm I'm liking the ideas, guys. Uh, Congratulations on coming up with the PGA Affiliate Tour, and I can't wait to see it in practice. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Look forward to doing more of it. All right. That was interesting. Can't wait to see that up on the Very cosy, the PGA and the Golf Australia at the moment, aren't they? Moving in together soon? I know. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. All right. That's it for this seg. We'll be back with Steve Allen on the other side of this.
With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. It is an absolute pleasure to have our next guest on, better known for winning the 2002 Australian Open at my home course, Victoria. And I think that was actually the last time that we had him on the show, was it doing a review of that uh, week back in 2017, I think it was, in October. So it's been a little while in between drinks, as I believe it. Stephen Allen, it is great to have you back on the show. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Doing very well. I think it's been quite a week for you. I can't wait to, to hear your stories. But first of all, where do we find you at the moment? I am at home in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, Back in the heat, my, my qualifier yesterday was in Washington. It was quite chilly, actually, and we're back to 100 degrees here in Arizona, so it's pretty warm. So just for the listeners' benefit, Stephen Allen, at 47 years of age, yesterday qualified to play in the US Open at Torrey Pines. I believe it's next week, Ali. Is that right, Steve? Next week or the week after? Um, yes, it is. Next week, yeah. Uh, it's your eighth major, Steve. It'll be your eighth major, but... You last played a U.S. Open in 2010. You played your first U.S. Open in 2005, and I think you played your first major at the Open Championship in 96. So it's been a long road for you, but were you surprised that you got up and did this? Because you played the qualifying at Meadow Springs in Washington on Monday as part of the Super Monday of sort of U.S. Open qualifying that's so good, and there were two spots up for grabs, and you got one of the spots with a – I think you shot four under – in the second round of the two rounds, and then you got into a playoff and you and you, you got the chocolates. I did, yes. Uh, yeah, it was 36 holes. Um, morning round was a little... Uh, it was cold and windy up there in the mornings, and the greens were pretty quick, so it was sort of... It was more of a hang on there and don't do anything... Don't shoot yourself out of it. And I, I, I didn't play my best. I had a couple of loose shots, but I managed to uh, shoot even in the morning, and then... The wind actually died down. It got a little warmer as the afternoon uh, progressed, so the scores were a little better and you could be a bit more aggressive. And I played I played significantly better. Um, I got a bit shaky at the end, but um, hold a few putts again at the end, which uh, got me in. Are you surprised? Because I, I looked at your world ranking this morning. You're 11.55 in the world. I'm not sure what status you've got. I think you've just been playing Corn Ferry qualifiers and stuff like that. It's been a while since you've really got onto the radar, at least yeah. down here. Yeah, so I, uh, I, my world ranking is going to be really bad because I'm not getting into any you know, world ranking events. Um, I've got status on the Corn Ferry, but it's really low, so I won't, I won't automatically get into any. The Corn Ferry are doing a two-year money list, so even if I was to get into one, if I Mondayed into one and made some money, I'd pretty much have to win the tournament to, to be able to continue, which is unusual because normally in a Corn Ferry year, if you get into an event and actually make some money, you can reshuffle up and actually get in for most of the year. So this year that really wasn't, you know, it's not really an option. The money's not very good on the Corn Ferry. When you throw in the expenses of travelling to Monday Qualify, it really, it doesn't make it a, it's not an um, attractive option, let's say. So uh, I was lucky enough this year to, uh, one, a fellow, Ozzy, Nigel Spence, um, He's now the director of golf at a golf club here, Arizona Country Club, and he uh, got me to do a few lessons. So I've actually started to do a little bit of teaching, but it's pretty flexible, and I've kept doing some PGA Tour Monday qualifiers. Uh, I only missed the Phoenix Open by one shot this year and the Wells Fargo and Charlotte by one shot. So I wouldn't say... I mean, I think when you go to a qualifier with two spots, I wouldn't say I was expecting to make it, but I'm not surprised 
that I did because uh, um, it's you know my game's not been far away the whole time. I think uh, I think yeah the the COVID kind of messed me up a little bit, like a lot of people obviously. But I you know I obviously couldn't come down to Australia last time I was down in Australia, New Zealand. I was playing reasonably well without doing anything that's gonna you know um, grab any headlines. But I sort of was around the top twenty in the Aussie Open and New Zealand Open. Had a good couple of rounds at the Vic Open and a, and a disastrous Saturday, but my game felt in a pretty good shape. Um, but, you know, no Q school last year. I didn't have a chance to get back out there. Um, not really even sure if we'll even be able to get down to Australia this upcoming, you know, summer. Um, so the, the, the chance to do a little bit of teaching uh, has, been, has been good, but I'm still playing and, you know, I'm only, I'm only two, two and a half years away from the Champions Tour, so I've got a little bit of an eye on that. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't completely surprised, but you know you, you can't you can't go to one of those things with you know like I said two spots expecting to make it. So it was nice to play well, it was nice to give myself a chance, and um, it was nice to actually come through with a couple of couple of sort of big putts at the end. It's so great to hear you talk about your game that way, and and obviously you know having confidence and, and backing yourself. Can you give us some insight, Steve, into what it's like? going to the kind of the PGA Tour Monday qualifiers? Like how many guys are showing up each week and what kind of numbers are you having to, to shoot to try and get through? So the PGA Tour Monday qualifiers are, you have to have a really good round. So you can go to them and play well and not make it, which is, it's hard and it's, it's got its own challenges because you can go out there, play really well and miss and you're on the plane and you're coming home and you feel like you've missed the cut sort of. But they vary during the year on the um, amount of players and the, the, the they're generally four spots every week. You get some really hard ones. So some of the bigger events that a lot of people play, a lot of the bigger names play or smaller fields, like early in the year, the Phoenix Open is one of the hardest ones because there's a lot of guys, all the, all the new graduates from the Corn Ferry don't really get in that event. A lot of pros live out here. So between that combination, you get like a you get like a almost a PGA Tour level field in the Monday qualifier for four spots. But as the summer goes on, when the fields actually go through the list a little bit more, the qualifiers the, the, the depth isn't quite as good. So you know, in, um, so so the Phoenix Open one, you always sort of have to shoot seven under on uh, the course they play. It's a it's a scorable course, but it's a long way from being easy. It's got two or three hard holes. Um, if and late, sorry, um, when you get later on in the year, when it's not quite the depth of qualifying fields, you you start to be at courses, if it's the same level of difficulty, you've sort of got a chance with five or six under. But I think pretty much on the PGA Tour Monday qualifiers, as a rule of thumb, you've got to look to get to seven under. So when you get started, you know, you, you obviously want to have a good start, but you really have to not have a bad start to keep you going. If you can make a few birdies before the turn, you know, you've got a chance. And in those things, that's really all you want to give yourself is a chance. So if you can get something, you can get to the point where you're, you know, you're a couple of shots away, you've got a chance of three or four holes to go. That's you know, even more, probably five or six holes to go. That's when you really just start to actually go for it. Um, I, I don't do well if I try and go for it right out of the gate. I just still have to settle into the round. Um, but yes, there comes a point where you know you know you've got to carry over water or you've got a tight pin. You need a birdie, you've got to go for it. So they yeah they they they're pretty tough, but it's not the best way to make a living doing Monday qualifiers. <laughs> but 
but uh, it's a good way to keep keep playing when I've got no status. Yeah, well, you've you've bought yourself a tea time for uh, <laughs> for next week, which is great. And there is yes. there is a little bit of a sense, isn't there, of kind of like I think with the U.S. Open and and it, and it being an open, there's there's so many players, and obviously you're in a, a different caliber to. 99% of the people that, that tee it up in these qualifiers. But there is a little bit of a sense of kind of the golden ticket, the foot in the door um, that, you know, it kind of gives you the, the right to dream. How are you framing this opportunity now in terms of next week? Uh, I just want to go and play well. I mean, I've played, I think I've actually played in uh, eight majors so far. I did play in the 99 US Open at Pinehurst. Gotcha. Okay. But I had an alarm going off. I, yeah, I was wondering um, what happened. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I've played in a few majors. I, you know, I never really got my games consistently that I would get in them all. I think my best finish was at 05 at Pinehurst when I, I played really well. And to be honest, the last day I was really nervous and didn't play well. I drove it in the rough a lot. Um, and Pinehurst greens were, the pins were about as hard as I've ever seen. So you... You know, I was on the back foot and been sort of conservative out of the rough all day and I had a lot of three putts and the whole day I just I probably let the... You know, I got paired with VJ. He made a run. He was only one back after about seven holes. And, yeah, so it's, it's going to be nice to have another crack at actually playing in a major and uh, and trying to trying to play well. I think that's 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 it. That's the goal at the end of the day. If I go over there and play well, I'll, I'll have a good week. I'll enjoy it more. Um they're really, US Opens are really difficult. They're mentally draining. The courses tend to be so hard that there's no let-up that somehow you've got to uh, adjust to that and realise that sometimes uh, a few overpowers is not a bad score. I'm sure there'll be plenty of rough at Torrey Pines. <laughs> um, your son, Joey, I'm not sure how old Joey is, but um, he was on the bag uh, for the qualifying the other day. Is he? Uh, he's not going to get a gig for the US Open, is he? I bet he's probably keen. Okay. Um, Joey is not. He's... He's only 13, and he got to pull in the in the qualifying rounds. You can actually use a, a buggy, so he got to pull the you know the buggy around. Um, but my older son Liam is going to do it in the tournament. So he did a few Monday qualifiers for me a couple of years ago, um, and had a bit of had a bit of success with Liam too. I had a, a little run of uh, good scores and got through a couple of Monday qualifiers in I guess it's 19 now. Yeah, so. Now that you've got three you kids. Uh, you've got three kids. Just run us through yep. their ages, and are they uh, are they getting into their golf? Yes, they all. Uh, Liam is fourteen, Joey's thirteen, and Zach is um, ten. And they all play golf. They all play a bit of baseball, and Joey and Liam have been playing basketball too. So it's pretty busy here every night. We're getting them off to school, off after school, off somewhere to a practice or so. Uh, Liam has started to play a little bit more golf. They've all played with me a lot, but they haven't played any of the little tournaments for a while because baseball kind of got serious. But Liam wants to have a crack at his high school golf team, which is a big thing over here compared to, you know, we didn't really have that back back in Australia, or at least in Melbourne growing up, there was no high school golf, so it was all club golf. But uh, and he's, he's getting better. He's playing pretty good. He's sort of getting his... He's, he's sort of had a little growth spurt, so he's in the zone where he can start to play off close to the back tees and he's shooting sort of in the 80s so yeah and it's I know look, I know and, uh, I know we're biased proof. we're biased on this program Steve but what a great game golf is that you could go out and play in a US quali- open qualifier and with, with your son 
you know, on the bag. It yeah. must, you know, yeah. He must have been absolutely stoked and uh, you you as yeah. well. What a, what a great thing for you. You'll never forget that, will you? No, it was it was it was very cool, and uh, you know, like there was there was a few people around, sort of on the 18th and in the playoff hole on the 9th, and uh, so a lot of the locals get behind a little bit. So it was actually a pretty good atmosphere for a few holes. Obviously, been I was pretty nervous playing those holes, and um, yeah, it was good fun. Steve, uh, we spoke to Kim Felton uh, from the PGA Tour of Australasia just earlier today, and uh, he did. Uh, we did let him know that we were. Going to talk to you, and he used your uh, common nickname, Plugger, which of course is after the great Plugger Lockett, the uh, St Kilda and Sydney yeah. uh, superstar. I know you're one of the biggest St Kilda supporters in the history of the world. Uh, but he did want to make the point to you that you're, you know, you're probably four years younger than Mickelson, so uh, maybe you can come out and win it. <laughs> that would be, that would be pretty awesome. Um, that was that was pretty impressive what Phil did, and. Uh, it's kind of surprising, but it's not that long ago that he was he was he was basically one of the best players in the world. So uh, it didn't it wasn't it wasn't shocking like a you know Tom Watson at sixty or like Greg Norman when he nearly won that year. It was sort of it was it was surprising, but uh, you know once he gets into the swing of it, the guy Phil I mean Phil's so good that uh, you know it was it was it was great to watch and it was it was good for golf. Well. We know what you're like when you get in the swing of it as well, Stephen Allen, uh, joining seven, well, another six players uh, from Australia next week at Torrey Pines. We wish you all the best in, uh, in hopefully completing the fairy tale. It's had a, a pretty gosh darn good start uh, alongside your son, Joey, uh, already. Congratulations on qualifying and thanks so much for coming on the show. Yep. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Blakey. Stephen Allen there. Look forward to seeing his, uh, his progress next week. And uh, we're going to be back for a couple of shenanigans, I guess we can call them. Shenanigans. Shenanigans, yeah. On the other side of this break, you're listening to Inside the Ropes. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back. It's Inside the Ropes. And we're doing something a little bit different. Now, I wish we had a xylophone in here. Blakey, because I feel like be, yeah, I feel like this would be a really nice moment to go. It's story time on Inside the Ropes, and go. <laughs> you can have you in the corner going ding, 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 ding. That could be my lot in life. <laughs> You've missed your calling. Yeah. So inspired by uh, the trials and tribulations of uh, of Scott Hend, we've uh, spoken to a couple of other tour players and, and thought that it might be nice to just you know get some insight into some of. You know, the nightmare stories, I guess that's the way you could call it, uh, around the tours of the world. And uh, we've spoken to Matt Griffin, Jane Park, and then we'll hear from the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Scott Hend. Interview after. of the year, I think, Ali, that one. It's, it's, it's been dubbed. It's been dubbed, Just... and it's certainly something to look forward to. We'll finish with mm. it on a high note. But first of all, let's uh, have a listen to our friend of the show, Matty Griffin's tale of, uh, of what happened with his passport. One of the difficult things about playing, especially in Asia, is that you often need visas to go to different countries. And uh, I had an event scheduled in a few weeks in Korea, um, which at that stage required a visa every time you went. Uh, And also the other thing that complicated that was that you had to send off your passport to Canberra. And sometimes it could take a little while for them to get it back to you. Anyway, I thought I had enough time to squeeze in getting a visa before heading to New Caledonia for an Australian tour event. Unfortunately, the Korean embassy were a little bit slow on my visa, the visa process, and missed the mailing it out in time for me to get it on the Friday. Uh, I had a flight scheduled Monday morning, uh, but 
travelling internationally without a passport is impossible. Given that I missed that flight and there's only a few flights to New Caledonia a day, it meant now that given I'd, I'd missed that first flight, I'd only get in the night before the event. Fortunately, my passport did arrive and I was able to get on the plane on the, on the Wednesday for the event in New Caledonia, uh, but I'd only land at 6pm the night before the first round. So going to New Caledonia, I'd never seen the course before, played, played the event. Uh, and the good, good story is, without a practice round, I ended up going on and winning my first official uh, PJ Tour of Australasia event. So uh, started off a bad travel story, ended in a good one. Uh, it's a good story. Playoff against t- uh, Terry Pilkadaris uh, in the end in, in 2011 and got one of his first wins on tour. It just goes to show that it doesn't have to be perfect to get the perfect result. Well, we like to plan and prepare, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes. What about you, Ali? Have you uh, had any dramas? You must have uh, turned up somewhere without clubs or clothes or whatever. I Yeah, no, I, I had a corker in uh, in Morocco one year where, um, who was it? Uh, Maria Virchanova, Carly Booth and myself all, all had our clubs lost uh, on the way there and clothes. And it literally becomes a question of trying to borrow whatever you can get off whoever's around. Yeah. And, um, and the men's, <clears throat> pardon me, the men's events down the road, we went down and talked to their, their tour staff. They didn't have too many shafts that were that uh, helpful oh. to us naturally. as you said. Oh, no. So the golf club's gone and, uh, and arranged three ladies' rental sets, which were offset graphite shafted clubs, and there was about – 11 or 12 clubs in the bag. And so Carly and Maria and I actually played a practice round together. Were they blades or and, just... Oh, no, no, no. They were like old school offset, oh, wow. you know, like big-headed Callaway clubs, um, which, you know, I used at one point in time in my career, but it's pretty hard to work the ball both <laughs> ways with those now. And the shafts are pretty whippy. And uh, so we went out, we grabbed as many clubs as we could from all of our friends. I remember I got a, a lob wedge from Sarah Hassan. I got a... Uh, I, got, I ended up getting a driver from the tour guys and a putter from the tour guys. I got a hybrid off Vicky Lang, just piecing this game together. And I'd be up on the tee duck hooking this driver. And, Mar- and I'm like, Maria, can I try yours? And she goes, yeah, let me try that one. So we were literally seeing which clubs would work the best for the three of us. So how many uh, clubs did you end up with uh, in I tournament had, play? I had one wedge. <laughs> I had oh, a no. pitching wedge. And, uh, and I had about a 50-yard gap. So you had to, oh, so you then, hit that out of the bunkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had don't the pitching go in the wedge, bunkers. Don't go in the bunkers. Uh, I had eleven clubs in the bag. The the irony is that I ended up making the club, making the cut with wow. with that rental set. Got my clubs back on the Saturday and played terribly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story. I don't know. I know, but anyway, yeah. and that's the thing. You know, you might not remember the scores that you shot, but you certainly remember the stories like those. And uh, and Jane Parks got one that she. Possibly will never live down. She's a big supporter of our Aussie events each year and she is the reigning Joker Queen along with uh, her best mate Tiff Joe on the LPGA and she's about to tell us about a run-in she had with the then amateur fresh-faced Kristen Gilman on the range at Evian. Got to the range and I was walking across to uh, find a stall to hit balls and uh, Kristen kind of sees me. We're both sponsored by Ping and so she sees me walking um, and my caddy was already at the stall. Um, he, she sees me walking and she kind of flags me down and I had never formally introduced myself to her. So, um, I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess she's just wants to say hi. Um, so I stopped and, uh, I just remember so clearly, 
um, her looking at me with a mouthful of braces and bringing her driver over to me and asking me, are you on ping staff? And in my mind, I thought she was asking, are you a staff player? Do you, are, do you, you know, play ping clubs? And I had a ping hat on and everything. So, um, she asks me with a mouthful of braces, adorable as can be, are you, are you on ping staff? And I said, yeah, I am. Um, and then she proceeds to hand me her driver and say, well, um, there's a rattling in my club head and I don't know if it happened on the flight over, but, um, yeah, there, I feel like there's something wrong with it. Can you go take a look at it for me? And while this was happening, my husband was not far behind me and a few other players and a few other club reps were around and they, uh, they, they could not stop laughing quietly because they, you know, they had known what was happening and they just wanted to see this just, you know, spiral out of control. Um, and you know, I, I felt uh, like my first instinct was to tell her, um, I kind of point her in the right direction and uh, say, uh, sorry, I, I don't work at Ping, but I can uh, direct you into the right place and to the right person. And, um, you know, after the fact, um, the few players and the few uh, people that were around that saw this happen, um, it was pretty much the talk of the next day or so. And, uh, I was the brunt of the joke and you know what? I'm completely fine with it because it was hilarious. Oh, and Kristen Gilman's going to be one to watch. No doubt. I think she'll pop up in some Solheim cups in, in times to come. That was back. Uh, I think she just won one or two U S women's amateurs and was uh, walking around with lots of confidence, but <laughs> But not much of a clue, evidently. And uh, and if you do need any clubs repaired, be sure to tag Jane Park. <laughs> She's absolutely lovely, Jane Park. Met her quite a few times over in Adelaide at the Women's Australian Open, of course, mm. which she supports and uh, a great story. What else have you got for us, Ali? Oh. Are you still going? I mean, I think we yeah. should I think we should go to the man that's inspired all of Hendy. this. I, think, I know we've kind of like left it as a little bit of a teaser at the end of the show. The interview of the year, as I said. And uh, yes, yeah, Scott Hen turns up at the... European Open, and uh, he gave an interview after playing. He did shoot 79, I think, the first day with all his borrowed stuff, but it, it's best explained by the man himself. He's always a good interview, Scott Hend. He's been a friend of this show for quite some time, and here he is at the European Open explaining his troubles. I flew from Florida. I went home for a few days for my wife's birthday, and then I came back on uh, Thursday out of Florida via Paris, into Copenhagen because they wouldn't change my flight to come straight to Hamburg. So anyone says, why didn't I fly to Hamburg? I wouldn't change it. And then they ended up losing my clubs and my suitcase. So I got in late yesterday, ran down to the mall to Uniqlo, bought a shirt, some pants, underpants. The worst part about it is the underpants. They're shocking. And then a yellow pair of socks. Scott Jameson gave me a hat. Scott Jameson gave me his shoes. Stephen Gallagher gave me his, his golf bag and some clubs, which I don't know how he swings them. He must be so strong because I can't use them. I'm hitting everything fat. <laughs> and then um, got the fairway woods from the gentleman who owns a, owns a golf course here and his putter, which obviously works for him, not for me, and Alexander Levy's driver. I don't know how he hits that because it goes in the crap all the time for me. So it's been a challenge, but I broke 80. 
So I'm hoping I get my golf clubs tonight and I can maybe shoot 78 tomorrow with my own clubs. Were you able to at least get some, some sleep last night? I saw on social media that you had to change rooms at the last minute because air conditioning. Yeah, yeah I did. Um, around 11 o'clock, they couldn't get my air conditioner to work, so the guy said, yeah, you either stay in here till tomorrow or change tonight. And I'm not sleeping in this sauna. So changed rooms, and then he said it was a little too late to get room service. So it was just one of those days. Just just one of those days when you travel and nothing seems to go how you wish it'd go. But uh, you know what? Maybe I'm saving all my luck up for for the last 30 of the year we'll see what happens hang in there I think yeah. your luck's due to change yeah I need a shave as well so hopefully my bag arrives, arrives tonight so I can get my razor blade oh isn't that just classic Scott Hend you know you're never quite sure what's going to come out of his mouth at the best of times but he just he calls it he calls it how it is and uh, you know what he, he's going to gain some fans out of that interview for sure loose cannon uh, is how I describe <laughs> Hendy and uh the gear that he wears as well, I don't know what he bought down at Uniqlo when he went down there, but it, it's not going to be, uh, you know, a plain white shirt, I can tell you that, because that some of the shoes he wears. Oh, and the, yeah, he's flashy. Uh, the pants, you know, he's got sort of his own brand, I think, and, yeah, he's he doesn't go, go quietly. He doesn't go quietly, so... Uh, great story. Anything else uh, to report this week, Ali, as we wind up? Uh, I, I think we're just about there. I just wanted to mention the Play 9 is back on again this year. Uh, you get automatic, automatic entry through Golf Link. Uh, I'm just going to – the national final, which is for two women and, and two men, uh, includes two nights accommodation at wherever – you know, it'll be at one of the main events at the end of this year. We don't quite know which one yet. But if you go to golf.org.au backslash play nine, you'll see all the details there. It's fantastic competition. Wanted to quickly mention uh, two WA amateurs, Hayden Hopewell, who's a star, Kirsten Rudgley, also a star. They both won at the North Shore Open in New Zealand. They're on a bit of a tour over there at the moment. Uh, the NT Classic was last week. Haruhi Nakatami uh, won the women's event at 14 years of age, and her brother Minato won the boys' junior, and Blake Perkins won the uh, the senior event there. Uh, what did you make of Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau at the moment, <laughs> in particular the, uh, the Brooks Kepka uh, video where he kind of appears to almost encourage people to... I, I didn't like it a lot, but I, maybe I should have a bit sense of humour. But uh, he, he almost felt like to me that he was almost encouraging people to get stuck into Bryson, which uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, mm. he was certainly treading the line, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. I th- I, to me, this all just feeds back to that that $40 million push the needle fund that yes, they've got. And it I, does. And, and I really, and I wonder if this would be happening uh, if if that wasn't there. I feel like that's a, been slightly incentivized, uh, you know. And I, I don't mind having rivalries in good fun, but I, it did. I lo- I'm with you. It felt like he was let's, almost promoting bullying. <laughs> let's, let's just stay within the line. And, and on, that, on that topic, the Premier Golf League put out a uh, statement this week where they basically said they're ready to go in 2023. Now, whether that's the case or not, I'm not sure. It's going to. Mm. They want it to be a teams event. Every event's going to be worth an enormous amount of money. Um, you know, I wonder. I wonder what's going on there. I mean, obviously the uh, the player, the PIP fund, uh, is that what it's called? The PIP yeah. fund? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's obviously a, a response to the, these moves to, to get a breakaway league going. But uh, interesting times, really. 
It is. Yeah. yeah, it's a good way to put it. And I, it would be remiss of me not to give uh, just one quick shout out to Brady Watt for his win at the Southwest Open, uh, because I know that he and his fiance have had to postpone their wedding for a second time because of uh, because of this lockdown. So we're thinking of you, but at least uh, he walked away with the W. That's it for us. And uh, Martin Blake, Ali Whitaker signing off on episode two ten. We'll be back next week to do it all again. You've been listening to Inside the Ropes.